Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. This is Matthew 25, uh, verses 14 through 30. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according, according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more bags. So also, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, see, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has, has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me pray for my Father, thank you for Matthew. Bless him now as he speaks, and uh, um, thank you for your word that is living and active, and speak to us through him. Give us ears to hear what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so listen, uh, guys, I hope you've had a, a great Christmas, and, and I appreciate some of you probably haven't. Um, and so, you know, the whole New Year's resolutions carry on as a wee bit, as a wee bit frustrating at times, because I'll be honest, I've only ever kept one New Year's resolution. And I started it two years ago. Conor McGregor, here, he's saying, LOL, you'll do nothing. And you know what, he's absolutely right. I've only ever kept one New Year's resolution, and that was to stop... Uh, having sugar in my tea. So two years ago, I, I basically stopped sugar in my tea. And I've kept that, and it's been great. So two years ago, I started to drink coffee and put sugar in my coffee instead. <laughs> so guys, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I, I, feel, I feel daunted. I feel under pressure to perform. I feel under pressure to try and keep this New Year's resolution carry on. Because it's always the same old cycle over and over. It's on the 31st of December, 20 to... 20 to 12, and thinking, oh man, what am I going to do? And then I think of something. I'm like, right, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to keep it. 10, maybe 12 days in, and I break it. And it's just a cycle of, of despair and pressure and, and, and disappointment. 
And so I, I want to encourage you guys, let, let's, let's not have that this year. Let's not actually put a heavy reliance on ourselves. Not at all. Let's, let's actually take this pressure and take these burdens off ourselves um, for the whole sake of this new year, new me, carry on. So listen, this new sermon series should bring us comfort. You'll be pleased to hear. You'll see a theme over the next four weeks um, where, where God actually isn't interested in successful. God isn't interested in successful. God's not looking for performance, but God's looking for faithfulness and he's looking for obedience. And guys, that should be really, really good news to us. And so at the start of this year in 2019, uh, we're going to be spending the first four weeks looking at the series of uh, being, a, being a faithful steward. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, we, we don't want to be like the guys who, who built the Tower of Babel, who are trying to make a name for themselves. Let, let us build a tower so high so that we can make a name for ourselves. Not at all, but actually, let's try and make a name for Jesus. What do you think? What, what, what do you think about that? Let's try and make a name for Jesus' glory. And so we're going we're to move on to parables. We're looking at a parable today, the parable of the talents, parable of the bags of gold. And, you know, parables are like detective stories. They're, they're kind of filled with half-hidden truths and secret meanings, uh, with, clue, with clues to these, these uh, meanings hidden and scattered throughout. But parables are actually God's way. It's an exciting way of challenging us to mystery hunt. But you know, the treasure that we are after is a new insight into the nature of life. It's a new insight into the nature of God. It's a new insight into what it means to become more like Christ. And so we will be enriched so deeply and so fully if we act upon it once it's discovered. And so in this case, Jesus is referring to the kingdom of God. He's referring to the kingdom of heaven. And, and since this was in Jesus' final journey down towards Jerusalem, there was expectations, uh, there was anticipations that that this Messiah, this Jesus, was actually going to be a military ruler. He's going to get to Jerusalem, and he's, he's going to come and, and bring in the kingdom of heaven. This is going to be great. The Jews are going to be liberated. The Romans are going to be defeated. And, uh, and guys, we, 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 know, we know from the rest of the story that, that you know, the, the, these people, their expectations actually fell powerfully short. Uh, the Roman Empire didn't fall that week. It didn't fall that year. Jesus' hearers and followers were expecting the kingdom of God to appear immediately, but, but you know, this fell below their expectations. But what Jesus is actually doing in this parable is explaining to his disciples what their lives could be like and what they should be like and what they should not be like once he's gone. And so here we are. Um, Jesus is here, and then, he, then he's going to be gone, and then he's going to come back again. And, and in the meantime, in the delay and the wait, life is going to be difficult. And the wait will probably be really long. And so in the meantime, between the first coming and between the second coming, you should not be an idle person. You should not be idle, but, busy, be, but be busy doing the work that the Father has given to do. So the first point is the pitfall to avoid. The pitfall to avoid. You know, this is such a, a famous parable, um, but it's so easy to miss what Jesus meant. You know, our, our English word talent means ability or means aptitude or something that, that you're particularly good at um, that someone else is not. But, but in Aramaic or, or in Greek, this would have been a simple unit of measurement, uh, a, a unit of weight, in fact. And so if you're an Aramaic or a, or a Hebrew or a Greek speaker and you hear this word, you wouldn't be thinking of your web design. You wouldn't be thinking of your programming. You wouldn't be thinking of Steve's salesman skills. You wouldn't be, hear, you wouldn't be thinking of accountancy. You wouldn't be hearing of all these careers that, that, that we get to take part in. 
but actually you're, you're, you're hearing of a, a responsibility. You're, you're hearing of an opportunity. You're hearing of this unit of weight. And so you see in, in verse 15 that, uh, that the master has given these talents, these responsibilities, these opportunities to people, to each according to their ability. And you know, he didn't say that he gave them abilities, but he gave them talents according to their ability. And so the talents are not abilities in and of themselves that the master's handing out, but actually there's something like opportunities, something like responsibilities that the father gives um, to, to those who are faithful to carry out and to invest. And so this isn't just church stuff. This isn't leading worship. This isn't preaching. This isn't cleaning the, the loose. This isn't church stuff, but this is actually everything to do with our, our everyday ordinary lives, including our job, including our families, including our social lives. And so wherever you work or whatever you do, it's these specific opportunities and responsibilities that Jesus has given to do. And so while we wait for Jesus, work. While we wait for Jesus' work, we do it with faithfulness, we do it with energy, and do it with love for him. And so as we jump into the text, there's a key word that stands out. There's a key word that stands out, the word faithful. It, it's, the, the repetitions is crazy. The master's gone into a faraway country, and, and he will return again. Um, and he's given these talents, these opportunities, these responsibilities to his servants uh, to, to trade for him in his absence. And so again, these are not abilities. Um, as we may consider a talent, but actually there are opportunities or responsibilities that the Lord has given, that the Lord has given his people in the light of their ability. So remember, it's not a gift we control, it's not an ability we can boast of, but it's actually an investment that the master makes in us, his servants. He wants us, or he wants to be able to rely on us in its use. And you know, I just want to stop here and say God's primary concern here is faithfulness and not success. In God's economy, wealth is actually translated as obedience to him and faithfulness for him. And that should be a real relief for us. Because, you know, I'm not a successful guy in many things. And I can say that's okay because I want to be faithful to the Lord. And, and God says that's enough. And so the one who received five talents went and, and made five talents more. He, he invested and he worked and he brought them to the master. And the master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. And these lines, this is incredible. Enter into the joy of your master. Wow, if I, if I get to hear that from, from Jesus someday, that'll be, that'll be everything complete. That'll be literally the, the pinnacle. Enter into the joy of your master. And so the one who received two talents made two talents more. And he brought them to the master. And the master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And the, the man who received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. It's interesting. Um, the, the master doesn't agree with the servant, saying, yeah, you're right, I'm a, I'm a hard master who reaped where he did not sow and scattered where no seed was, or gathered where no seed was scattered. No, not at all. I think, I think the, the master here has been a little bit sarcastic. I think the master has been a bit sarcastic. He's saying, oh, you knew, did you, that I was a hard master? And so then the, the master begins to play the servant at his own game, and, and he says, and he actually expected the servant to have at least invested the talent so that it, it would accrue interest, so that he would, he would get a little bit more back. 
and then end up the person who has one should have it taken away and given to the person who has five. Guys, the point is, if, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. If you don't use it, you'll lose it. Remember, this parable is about the kingdom of heaven. And so with Jesus' re resurrection, with his great commission, he's inaugurated the coming of the kingdom of God, and he's entrusted his presence, and he's entrusted his power to his followers. And what we do with what we've been given will help shape eternity for both us and for those around us. So what's his point? Why is he saying this? His servants should be busy capitalizing on their responsibilities and opportunities that the king has given, that the master has given, which will show their love for the king or show their love for the master. And so for us, let's not be apathetic in the delay. Let's not be apathetic in the delay. Whatever, whatever we're assigned to, whatever we do in our, in our day to day lives, whatever your job, steward that well for the king, for Jesus, and for his glory. And so the pitfall to avoid is thinking that these talents are our own to grow, our own to keep, and our identity. But they're rather an investment that God makes in us in giving us the opportunity to be kingdom carriers, giving us the opportunity to be stewards of his presence here in Dublin. So that's a pitfall to avoid, the phony to reveal. Guys, the, the real problem, the real problem here is that the third man had no intention of really being the servant that he was pretending to be. The third servant knew what was expected of him. He, he knew he ought to invest this opportunity. He knew he was given an incredible opportunity, and he, he knew he had to actually do something with it. But this man actually refused to do it. He, he, he dug a hole in the ground. He put it in the ground. He, he left it until, the, until the, the master came back. I don't know if that was years. I don't know if that was days, but we're told it was a long time. And so what, what, do, you, what do you think he'd done in that long time? He had his own life to live, and it must have meant absolutely nothing to him that the fact is that a servant's fundamental task is to serve his master and not himself. And so therefore, he was a phony. He was a hypocrite. He was pretending to be what he was not. And, and you know, you'll not have to look too far in this world today to find someone who feels entitled, to find someone who feels that the world owes them something. I work for a phone company and I, in customer service, I deal with entitled people four days in a week. And my word, that is a pet peeve of mine. And it's something that, that the Lord has actually given me, trying to give me patience uh, to deal with. And you know, Jesus is saying this to his disciples and to his hearers. And the reality is it's the Pharisees here who are actually the phonies, who are making it more difficult uh, for people to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is providing a model. He's providing a path. He's, he's providing a way for his disciples He's shown them, this is the way to live in my absence. And so upon the, upon the master's return to ask his servants for an accounting, uh, the third servant tries to justify himself, and he says in verse 24 that he knew the master to be a hard man. And then in verse 25, he says that he was afraid. And you know, some people would say that he was lazy as well, and, and therefore he went on to hide his master's talent in the ground. So we see that the first thing that characterized this third servant, and, and caused his master's displeasure was actually fear. He buried his talent because he was afraid. Afraid that if he took the talent and invested it, he might, he might risk losing it all. And then have nothing to return to the master. And so for the fear of losing everything, he risked absolutely nothing. For the fear of losing everything, he did nothing. And you know, fear is probably the most powerful enemy of faithfulness. So many people miss opportunities to do something significant 
with their responsibilities and with their, with their possessions simply because they fear failure. You know, I, I feared failure as a 16-year-old. It was real, real popular in school. I was the short guy that I got along with everybody and got, got and done real well, but I knew that, man, I'm a follower of Jesus. What am I going to do here? I have a decision to make. I, oh, man. And so I, I ended up wearing a short-sleeved shirt because I wanted my wrists to be exposed because I wore that little WWJD band. And man, I got picked on straight away. Like, what are you wearing that for? What does that mean? Oh, but it's unbelievable because, because you know, I, I, I took a risk and God was so faithful and it. He actually made me brave whenever I was feeling really cowardly. I didn't want to go to school with the band on. I, I didn't want to go to school with the long-sleeved, uh, with the short-sleeved shirt on because one, it would look silly in the wintertime and two, it would expose these, these little puny arms that didn't have big muscles. But you know, God was, God was really faithful. God actually came through. And I, I think that little tiny bit of obedience as a 16-year-old allowed me to be a little bit more obedient as an 18-year-old, as a 20-year-old, as a, as a 28-year-old. You know, in, in a selfish blindness, what the servant did not realize was that this was his one chance to risk himself. Had he done so like the other two men, he would have gained. He, he himself would have been changed, for the venture is to be changed. To risk for Christ's sake is to find oneself altered, to find oneself redeemed, to find oneself reborn. And so that one talent is given to all who are drawn to follow Christ. If you follow Jesus today, then, then you can count yourself to have that one talent, to have that one responsibility, to have that one privilege. And so we can risk ourselves upon Christ's word. We can risk ourselves upon God's redeeming grace. We can risk ourselves upon, upon the hope for eternity that Jesus' work at the cross has achieved for us. And so other opportunities for risk will follow. But without that one investment, there is no true value to life. And so as C.S. Lewis vividly puts it, it may be a hard thing for an egg to become a bird, but it is a jolly sight harder for it to learn to fly while it's still an egg. And so we are like eggs today, and we either must be hatched or go bad. So I want to provide us four quick lessons that will hopefully encourage, hopefully inspire us to hatch in 2019. It will help steward the gifts, steward the talents, steward the responsibilities and opportunities that God has placed before us. Now the first one, realize that, that whatever you do, you work for the king. Realize that whatever you do, you work for the king. You work faithfully, you work fully and finally for the king. You know, these servants worked with investors. They worked with clients. They worked with other people. They, they invested the, the talent. They invested the bags of gold. And they knew that, that in doing this, that someday they're going to have to give an account. They're actually going to have to give an account with what they did, with what they were given. And you know, between Jesus' first and second coming, we've been entrusted with these responsibilities, these opportunities to steward the gift of God steward the presence of God wherever we went. You know, there's two dangers that can stifle. There's two real dangers that can stifle. First of all, idolatry. Second one, idleness. Idolatry of work or else idleness in work. Both of these can stifle. And in idolatry, the, the job is our source. Our job is our meaning. Uh, our job is our satisfaction. You know, I have a real habit of, of meeting new people and asking what they do. As, as if their job is, is what defines them. 
usually my second or third, maybe fourth question is, oh, so what do you do with yourself? And I, I'm ashamed because, because whenever I'm asking that, it's nearly as if I'm placing, I'm placing some sort of identity on their job, which it should never be. But, but these are the dangers that can stifle the job becoming the, the meaning and the source of satisfaction or idleness. And when I say idleness, I don't mean, mean, mean quitting work. I don't mean slacking and off and, and doing slightly less, but actually idleness in heart. Forgetting God's purposes for you in that job. Forgetting God's role for you in that job. You know, it's so easy to be, to be idle. And it's so easy to, be, to, to just slacken off and the performance would drop. But really what is, what is key is that our idleness isn't an idleness of heart. You know, Paul gets it right in Ephesians 6. 6. He, says, he says with regards to earthly masters, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Wow. Paul knew the crack. He says, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Lesson one, realize that whatever you do, you work for the king. Lesson two, all are God's to give, and he gives them unequally. You know, this whole equality carry-on is, is something that, um, that makes very light of, of, of inequality. But I, I want to give one inequality that's absolutely incredible. You know, the master didn't divide the, the eight talents up between uh, th- three people. He didn't give two point, or 3.6 or, or whatever it is. Or, no, it's not. 2.6. I, I don't know. He didn't give them equally. The master didn't give them equally. We tend to think that, that he should have given them all evenly and, and, and sent them off to see which of them would do better, like a rat race. And he, and he gives them all equal opportunity to go and invest and see which of them can come back or come out on Trump. No, not at all. You remember the parable of the workers? Remember the parable of the workers? Jesus is saying um, about the master says to the guys, I, I'll, I'll give you a, a denarius. I'll, I'll give you this denarius. I'll give you this coin, this day's wages. In fact, it's even more than a day's wages, far more. He says, I'll give you this to, to work for me today. And so this guy, the servant, he goes and he works for him for the whole day, probably a, a nine to five, or, or maybe it's a seven to three, I don't know. But anyway, he gives, the master gives the denarius to work uh, for the day. And then later on in the day, maybe around lunchtime, somebody else comes and, and the master says, listen, get, I, I'll give you denarius to work for the day as well. And so at this stage, half the day is up, and this is, this is the kind of time that I start work. And, uh, and, and the denarius is, is there, and he says, if you work for the rest of the day, I'll give you it. And then, and then the last hour of the day at 4 o'clock, this is when Steve starts to work, another guy comes along, and the master says, well, well here, if you, if you work until the close of business, I'll give you a denarius. And he says, yeah, no bother, that's incredible. Wow, maybe doing a, an hour's work for a, a lot of pay. And, you know, whenever it came to pay, time your guy at the very start who, who, who worked his butt off and, and he only gets the same as what everybody else does and he's absolutely livid. Do you remember the response? Whenever challenged, the master says, it is mine to give. It is mine to give. Essentially saying, I'll distribute these according to my standard and not yours. I'll distribute these according to my standard, not yours. And you know, the body, the human body works harmoniously. It's, it works similarly. Each of us have different responsibilities. Each of the parts of the body have different responsibilities, different abilities, but they all work harmoniously. They all work together, and, and God has knit them together well. 
know, it's so easy to be jealous of another's assignment, isn't it? I don't know about you, but, but, but the green giant creeps in. The jealousy creeps in. You know, I have a, a friend of mine, Greg, and me and him were in a, in a bad car accident in October 2007. Um, and he was driving, I was in the passenger seat, and we, we met another car in the brow of a, a hill, there was only one lane wide, and uh, we were going too fast. So he, he pulled over to go for the hedge because it's either a crash into a car or into a hedge. And you know, we hit the hedge, but unfortunately there was a tree there instead of the hedge. And the car flipped on its side and, and we slid down the road. And, uh, and you know, as soon as we came to a stop, uh, so I was on my side and he was down here and I remember saying to him, Greg, are you all right? How are you? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm dead on, I'm fine. And that was great and we got the seatbelt off each other and I opened the door and got it kicked open. And then as he began to climb out over me, I, I, seen, I seen his hand. And, uh, and I, I don't mind the sight of blood, but whenever there's tendons hanging off, that's a different story. And so I was like, Greg, I think you cut yourself. And, I was like, and so he, he's, he's from the country, and he's like, oh, sir, what am I going to do? So anyway, we, we got out of the car, and uh, unfortunately, he'd lost his pinky. He'd lost his little finger um, from, the, I think, either from the glass smashing or from sliding along the road. Anyway, he lost his finger. I remember I had to phone his mum and like, Valerie, we've been in a car accident. Greg has hurt his hand, but he's dead on, he's fine. And so 40 minutes later, his parents arrive and, and see that I, he has hurt his hand and it's a little bit more severe than, than what we, we let on. Anyway, long story short, he is healed. He's, he's got a little stump now that's hilarious when you shake hands with him. But you, you know, whenever he goes to lift a jug, he has to lift a, a jug with his left hand. Do you know why? Because a little finger is absolutely vital to lifting a jug. You know, after the service, I want to encourage you, if you're going to go and pour your milk, pour milk with three fingers and not your, not your pinky. Would you believe it that all your strength when it comes to pouring lies in the little finger? But you don't see the little finger complaining because he's not as, as tall as the other ones. You know, the body works harmoniously. The body works well together. The little finger doesn't need to be the same size as the thumb in order to work well. You know, each of us have, have different responsibilities. I, I want to encourage you that, um, that I want to encourage you to serve well where God has put you. If you're not happy or content with where you are, then remember this. Remember this today that God is sovereign. Abraham Kuyper, uh, a great theologian, said that there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. You know, whatever assignment you've been given, no matter what, whatever assignment you've got during the week, remember this, that God has given it to you. And so all are God's to give, and he gives them unequally. Lesson three, what matters is faithful, energetic service, not the return. First guy brought ten talents. The second guy brought four. Ten versus four doesn't sound very fair to me. Um, the response of the king was word for word the same. Is that not incredible? The response of the master was exact the same. You see, where you see repetition in the Bible or where you see the same thing repeated twice is kind of like a marker, like, like pay attention, or, or where you see it three times is even more significant, like, like holy, holy, holy. And this here, we see the same phrase, the same sentence repeated twice. You know, the importance is not the return, but actually the servant's engagement. Do you realize what, what Jesus has done for us? That he's taken the wrath, the sin, the punishment that we deserve upon himself, and he, and he died on the cross. 
You know, all this, all this talk of working for a king is pointless if he did not rise. Amen? All this point of living for Jesus, is, all, this, all this work is absolutely pointless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we should just get up and leave. But he didn't stay there. Amen? He rose again. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And by faith, we can be united to him too. By faith, we can be made alive as well. And so the reality of this ought to affect every single detail of our lives, including our jobs, including how we steward the opportunities that every day presents. Guys, it doesn't matter whether you, the um, Lord has given you 40K a year or 200K. It doesn't matter the hand that you've been dealt in the end up, but what matters is faithful, energetic service for the king. C.T. Studd once said, uh, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice I make can be too great for him. I remember as a, as a 16-year-old, I came across that and I went online and got a hoodie and I got that verse printed out on it and I thought, oh, this is great. Got the hoodie on, wore it at home. And I was thinking, wow, what's the point of me wearing this in my bedroom? I'm the only one that can see it. And then I had to actually wear it in public and thinking, oh man, I actually have to live out the very thing uh, that I believe. And so for me, getting this, getting this quote from a, an old dead theologian was a, was a real challenge and, a, and, a, and a, kick, a kick for me. But you know, what matters is faithful, energetic service, not the return. And you know, if I, if I aspire to be, um, to be a, another Billy Graham and then I fall short, man, all I'm going to get is, is this sense of disappointment, this sense of failure, this sense of I am not worthy, I am not gifted, I am not able. But if I aspire to actually steward well what God has given me, then what I can expect is a well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the master. What matters is faithful, energetic service, not the return. And lastly, joy and freedom come from knowing and loving the king. Joy and freedom come from knowing and loving the master. The fuel to this, the fuel that drives us should be coming from knowing the king, which creates the desire to serve. You know, in verse 24, uh, the reason given was because he was afraid. The master said, or the, or the, the third servant said that he was, he was afraid. And he said that, that, he said that you're, you're a hard master. You're a difficult master. You know, the reason given was because he was afraid and he had, the servant actually had a low opinion of the master. Have you ever thought about that? The servant had a really low opinion of the master. Imagine if I, if I served one of you guys and worked for one of you guys and you were saying, listen, I'm, I'm going off down to Cork for a year, but here, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a portion of the business and I, Matthew, I, I want you to look after this and I'll be back again. And whenever I come back, I expect you to have, to have handled this well. And imagine if I didn't think very much of you and I thought, well, you know what, I, I don't really care. I'm, I'm going to let this business go to pot because well, there's nothing really in it for me. I, I have my own life to live. The third servant actually had a really, really low opinion of his master. I, I didn't think very much of you. And I'll tell you this, that wrong thinking of Jesus will short-circuit the whole thing. Wrong thinking of Jesus will short-circuit the whole thing. Without a desire to serve well, you'll likely not risk for him. You'll only risk upon that what you trust. Isn't that right? You'll only risk upon that what you trust. 
wonder sometimes if you've ever served because you've got an agenda. I know I do at times. I think everybody's got an agenda in some, some way, shape, or form. But I wonder if you only serve because you've got an agenda, because you want that promotion. Or I'll not, I'll not do this. Um, I'll, I'll not fulfill my responsibilities. I'll not fulfill this to the best of my potential because I'm probably not going to get it. Somebody else is going to get it. I want to tell you this. If you have an agenda, then everyone else around you will either become an obstacle or become a means to an end, become stepping stones to use, not people to love. If you know you're working for the king, then you are free to take your worries. You're free to take your cares and place them in his hands. And you know, when you, when you work for the king, when you work for the master, it brings about a freedom to trust God with your future. You know, I, I hope this, this point really hits home. You know, it, it brings about a freedom to rest. Have you ever thought about that? Because you know and love your king, because you know and love Jesus, it brings about a freedom to rest because you can trust that your future, that your eternal salvation is wrapped up in him. I mean, if you're like me, who's got an, a tendency to, to make an idol of work, then rest is something that we're prone to resist. Rest is this thing that you, you, you go home and get into bed at, at night, and it's like a, a six, bed is like a six or seven hour speed bump that you have to get over. That bed and sleep is keeping me back from work because I need to be doing more and more. You know, rest, I think, is God's way of reminding you that, that the world isn't going to collapse. Whenever you go to bed, the world isn't going to collapse. Work is not going to collapse. It's God's way of actually reminding you that he is sovereign and not me. He is sovereign and not you. That he is keeping everything taking over while our head rests on the pillow at night. God wants us both to rest from work and also work from rest. Can I just invite the worship team up again? Guys, as I close, I, I, I want to just say that when you know and when you love your king, then that will give you a freedom to do your work well. You know, in ancient Near East, the highest calling for any tradesman, the highest calling for any craftsman was to work for the king. In Proverbs 22, 29, it says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. Why do those who are skilled end up working for the king? Because service fits audience. I want to say it again. Service fits audience. And it works in reverse as well. Knowing that you work for the king means that you ought to offer up a service that is fit for the royal audience. And I want to encourage you today. Will you, will you stand with me? Let's live for the audience of one. Let's keep in mind that, that, guys, we have a heavenly master that we can serve more so than our earthly masters. And so may our days be shaped by the realization that, that all we do is done for the king. That these responsibilities, that these opportunities are God's to give. And that what matters is not the return, but faithful, energetic service. And finally, may we know the joy and the freedom that comes from serving our King. So what's the final message that Jesus is saying? It's, it's step out, it's take a risk, it's live dangerously. Let's take constant chances with our life for his name's sake. So let's not try to bottle up our, our lives so as to hang on to our life at all costs. For if we do that, then surely we'll lose it. But if we surrender ourselves to his cause again and again, and that is a way to find life. And so what has God been saying to you recently? What is the thing that keeps coming back, the thing that's so hard to shake? What is he drawing you towards? What's he igniting in you a passion for? 
Jesus, I, I, I pray that 2019 would be a year in which we would, we would, would take ownership and we would steward the, the things that you have given us a passion for, the things that, that, that you have given us, the talents, the responsibilities and opportunities that you have given us. And so, Jesus, as, as, as we surrender to you now, Lord, we're saying, God, all we have is yours. Take me and use me. Now come, Lord Jesus, we, we worship you and we exalt you and we praise you and we respond to you with a, with a song. Amen.